0: So, it's a joy to enter into this conversation with you for the next seven weeks. We're going to be doing Explore God because we recognize that there's a need for people to ask questions. In fact, over tea and coffee and donuts and time spent together this morning, I heard some pretty big life questions. Things like why would God allow someone so young to die? Why would God allow me to go through the most difficult times that I've been through in my life over the last several weeks? And what is my purpose in that? So as we dive into Explore God, we're going to be asking some tough questions. And the reason is because the world around us is asking tough questions. And the church has a history of tiptoeing around tough questions. But for now, We are following God's lead into the middle of those tough questions with courage because that's what Jesus does. And we're following him there in that conversation. So I'd ask you to pray with me as we dive into the first week of Explore God. and We're going to look at purpose together and what God intends for us in that. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for uh, the ability to ask you questions. Thank you for the opportunity to study not only your word, but to study each other and then spend time uh, talking with each other. And most importantly, and foremost, listening to each other, hearing each other's fears, concerns, joys, experiences, and filtering those through your love and through the hospitality you teach us by your Holy Spirit. God, as we dive into this next seven weeks, And as we open up our discussion groups in our homes and in public places this week, I ask God that you speak before us, that you speak into each of our lives, and you give us wisdom and insight and love and patience as we entertain these big life questions together. So we ask you to come and speak now to each one of our hearts. In your name we pray, and together we say, amen and amen. Well, today in particular... Uh, We are not going to be studying scripture outright at the very beginning of the message. Instead, what we're going to be doing is entertaining the question, does life have purpose? And then take a look at some different aspects of that, along with what God says in a couple of different places in the scripture. This, of course, is going to be in the context of seven big questions that we're going to be entertaining over the next seven weeks. Week one, of course, is does life have purpose, have a purpose? But those other questions include, is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? If you came to church this morning looking for light and surface level conversation, I am sorry to disappoint you. This is going to be some deep stuff. But I think as we dive in here together, you're going to have fun. You're going to see that God works in the unknown. He works in the mystery as much as he works in questions and answers that are easily had. So as we dive into this together, let's go in with an open heart. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us in a new direction and teach us some new dynamics. Well, I would wager everyone in the room here, no matter how young or experienced in life you are, has asked the question, what is the purpose of my life? And maybe you asked a continual question of God, God, what is your purpose for me? Maybe that was in the context of asking, what is the purpose of human life in general? In human life in general, we have this continuum that most of us seem to fall in somewhere where we're born and we're helpless as a baby. And then we're a toddler running around like little Molly saying things that just don't make any sense whatsoever, falling down and getting up and laughing and having play and having fun. And then we get to go to school and we just go to school and go to school and go to school until one day we're as tall as our parents or even taller. And then we become adults and we work jobs and we maybe get married and maybe we have a family. We get more money if we're blessed with money for a particular period of time. And then we look at retirement. We look at retiring and start losing the functionality of our bodies systematically over a very long period of time, relying more on health care and on the good graces of those who love us. And then we find ourselves facing the grave And every single one of us has some version of this experience. Where are you on that continuum right now? And wherever you are, have you ever asked yourself, why are we all going through this experience? And what is the purpose of it? Why would God let me be so helpless in the beginning and then so helpless at the end and have a sense of security all along somewhere in the middle as I grow up and get older and start to take care of myself and others. And what is the purpose of that? Why would we entertain a continuum of life like this as a whole human race. Only to end up in the same place. I would wager that there are so many people asking this question right now. That we could not count them. They're all around us. They're asking the question maybe in different ways. Forms, maybe in different variations, but each one of us is asking the question, questions like, who should I spend my time with? Where should I work? How should I spend my money and other resources? You have found yourself asking those questions. And when you try to answer those questions, you fall back on a system of beliefs and assumptions to answer those questions, don't you? And you act on the best information you have at the time. Just like everybody else around us. Whether we have a relationship with God or not. We have a commonality in that. A commonality with these questions. And trying to figure out is life more than just simply being a treadmill mouse runner. Is life more than simply just going through motions and living through this continuum of life from beginning to end, just like everyone else does. In fact, even Ernest Hemingway struggled with this idea and said, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Now, how does that make you feel? You didn't come to church to get depressed today, did you? But all of a sudden, here we are asking the question, why does life have purpose? And then People are struggling with this question throughout history, and it just doesn't seem that rah-rah. It's not pumping us up yet, is it? In fact, if you go all the way back to when people started asking the question about purpose, you can start with the son of David, King Solomon, who put it in words. Here's what he said in Ecclesiastes. I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing what? The wind. Have you ever seen a dog chase the wind? It's kind of fun and entertaining, but does the dog ever catch the wind? No, and you can't catch the wind either. That's what Solomon is saying in his wisdom. He's saying to you, even timelessly. From thousands of years ago and in thousands of years into the future, if somebody, if a human being tries to catch the wind, it's futile, isn't it? That's what King King Solomon was feeling here. He said, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases what? Sorrow. The more he knows and the more he gathers and the more wealth he has. Did you know King Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines? Maybe that's what was causing him depression. I don't know. But he had so much stuff. He was bathed in wealth. He was bathed in relationships. He had everything that a person could ask for. And yet he felt a bit depressed by that. He felt that there was no purpose or meaning in it as he wrote Ecclesiastes. I want to share with you uh, the story of a man named uh, Kenny Sailors. Now, before I dug a little bit into this story, I heard this story from a friend. Uh, before I dug a little bit into this story, I had never heard of this guy before, Kenny Sailors. Maybe you haven't either. Kenny Sailors is accredited with developing, if not inventing, but at least developing the jump shot in basketball. Now, what is a jump shot? I would suggest that you and I probably take this particular move for granted because as long as I've been around, basketball has included a jump shot. You know what a jump shot is, right? A jump shot is basically when you take the basketball in one hand instead of two and you have to jump and shoot. So you're coming up above your opponent with one hand and making the shot. So Kenny Sailors is credited with, if not creating it, developing it. Here's a little snapshot of his story. Take a look at this. (laughs)
1: Come on, you guys. You know I can't bend over. When I got into the NBA, nearly everybody shot two-handed when it started out. I didn't. I was the freak. I shot them one-handed, you know. (laughs) My brother was a good ball player and a good athlete, and uh, we'd play one-on-one, and I never could get a shot off, and he really enjoyed that because he was 6'5", and I was just about, I don't know, 5'7", probably. He used to tell me that you better find another game. This isn't your game. It's for big men, tall men. High on the board, sailors. Somehow the idea come to me is if, well, if I jump up, and I knew I could jump, jump straight up, and bring the ball up right over my head, and I I let it go, and the thing went in. He hadn't, his feet was on the ground. He hadn't even left the floor, and he said, Kenny, you may have something there. He says, you better develop that shot. It took years. It didn't happen overnight to get them a jump shot, but uh, it was the idea behind it. Kids in their community started trying to imitate that shot as soon as they saw it in Life magazine. And I've had people tell me, even ballplayers tell me, that that's the first picture I ever saw of a jump shot. If you look, everybody's bound to the floor, their feet, except mine. And that was, a, that was one of the standard rules in my day, was in defense or on offense, you never left the floor. Every, every time he comes in here, somebody knows him. Yeah. It's pretty popular. I'm not popular, that jump shot's popular. But he doesn't really take credit for it. He really doesn't. You know? Well? But who would know who's the first well, kid that jumped in the air and shot a just basketball? Just take it and run with it. You know, who would possibly know? Did good to you. Ray Meyer from DePaul, who coached there for many, many years. He said it the best, I think. Sailors may not have been the first player to jump in the air and shoot the ball, but he developed the shot that's being used today. In 1943, we won the NCAA, we beat the champions of the NIT, we beat the national service team champion, and we beat the national AAU champions, Philip 66, Wouldn't anybody else to beat went as far as I could go in basketball, but that still wasn't enough, so I went into the pros and played long enough to get a pension in the NBA. Basketball was was just about my whole life
0: when I was growing up. What I love about this story, and we're going to hear a little bit more from Kenny in a couple of minutes, what I love about this story is that God is working out a sense of purpose in it. And you'll hear a little bit more as we look at the second half of Kenny's story shortly. But the key question on the board today is, what is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of the life of a person who develops a game-changing technique? What is the purpose of your life and my life? What we're going to explore is each other's stories over the next seven weeks. And I wanted to share a part of Kenny's story to illustrate to you how powerful story is. When you get together with other people, whether they have a relationship with God or not, they have a story. And in that story, God speaks. Whether that person acknowledges God in that story or not, God is in it. As has been said before, The reason we know that is because God made the person who's telling the story. And because God has a big story all around us that addresses the issue of purpose. So why would we not engage in each other's stories when we're exploring God? This is exactly what Jesus was doing when he was teaching the early church in the very first days. And when he was saying to the church at that time, Don't run around after money or after wealth, do what you need to do to work and be busy with your hands and take care of your family and uphold your responsibilities to each other. But don't place a sense of purpose in the earning of money. Place a sense of purpose elsewhere. And Jesus goes on in that uh, dialogue with the church to speak about the birds in the air and how they are clothed, and how beautiful they are. And then he talks about the flowers of the field, how they are clothed, and how beautiful they are, how the birds are fed, how the flowers are grown. And he says to those people, if you know that God made birds, and loved them, and you know that God made flowers, and loved them, and fed them, and clothe them in great beauty, why would you believe that he would not love you and feed you and clothe you with great beauty? Perhaps even in the righteousness of someone else who is not you, a righteousness that you can put on like clothing and not try to achieve on your own power. Look at what Jesus says at the end of that passage. Tim read earlier. So don't worry about these things like eating and clothes. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. Whose sense of purpose is not tied to that bigger story. Yet. These things will dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows how many of your needs. All of them. And then he says that famous phrase, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, which we understand to mean living in the righteousness of Christ and not performing before God, right? Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The scripture says, well, here's our temptation as believers For those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus in the room, our temptation is to believe that our faith is confined to the Sunday morning experience. We've made a case since we're a brand new site, we've made a case that being here on Sunday morning is really important, especially in the first few years. And we've also said that if we can't be here on Sunday morning, especially in the first few years, what do we do? We are the church wherever we are. If you have to work, if you have to be away, then be the church. And God will share himself through you wherever you happen to be on that Sunday morning. But by default, on the other side of this idea, the church has historically relaxed into the idea that it only really exists as a church during a worship service one time on Sunday morning or a Saturday night or a Monday night, whenever it happens to be meeting and that church attendance or attendance at worship services is all there is to the faith. The world would look at that dynamic and would struggle because the world sees us as cracked, broken, stressed out eggs that deal with the same kinds of stuff that they do and struggle and wrestle between what should be a perfectly righteous and put together life. And what ends up being a big mess in the end, we are caught between the reality of life, the rock of the reality of life and the hard place of a theoretical life that is perfect, including going to church on Sunday morning with a bunch of other people who are perfect. We get caught in that and the world looks at that and struggles with that idea and in fact, influences the church in a way that has snuck up on us in the last few generations. I want to share this quote with you and you can read it for yourself, but I'd like to put it on record. Brennan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then do what? Walk out the door and deny him by their Lifestyle—that That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So what this is saying to us from my point of view, and you form your own conclusion as you like, what this is saying to us is the church for generations has been tempted to drop or let go its responsibility to follow Jesus into the lives of people who need him shirking that responsibility by leaving the religion at the door as they walk on the way out. And the responsibility is this. It is to follow Christ into the unknown, into the tough questions, into the idea of what is my purpose with confidence and a sure footing that is placed alone in Jesus and not in our own power or ability to perform, or to answer life's biggest questions. Let's go back to Kenny Saylor's for a second. You know, Kenny probably struggled with the idea of his purpose. And maybe he began to tie up his purpose in his life in basketball. And then something happened. Something came into his life and changed his mind. Take a look at this.
1: I've gotten older and the Lord has shown me that there's far more things more important than just sports or basketball. That's my girl. 60 years my life I spent with that girl. My wife and I had a wonderful marriage and it lasted a long time. Uh, We enjoyed living with each other. We enjoyed our family. I don't know how it could have been any better. She contacted this, uh, what do you call it, dementia. And uh, gradually you lose your memory of things way back. The doctors told me she wasn't going to be around too much longer. It's tough. The Lord gives you strength that you don't even know where it comes from. It just gives you the strength to go through most anything. As an old man, 90 years of age, I've experienced much in my lifetime, and all of it wasn't good, and certainly all of it wasn't bad. But one thing that has stood the test of time is God. He has satisfied me in a way that all the fame and success could never do. Nothing does compare with my experience with Christ in the life that I've had in Him. There's nothing in this world that can even come close to it. I'm not in the Hall of Fame. So far, I've never made it. If I were to make the Hall of Fame today, oh, you know, it'd, it'd be nice. I mean, I'm a human being just like everybody else. I know I belong to the greatest Hall of Fame that any man or woman can ever belong to. And when you belong to that, and you know you belong to it, you don't worry about these Halls of Fame that men create down here. don't mean that much to you.
0: When this was made some years ago, 2012, all of a sudden seven years ago, in 2012, uh, Kenny Sailors was inducted into the Collegiate Hall of Fame. He got that wish. And then three years ago, he passed away at age 95. And he learned something that is instructive for you and me as we entertain the stories of those God will place into our lives in the next few weeks and thereafter, a sense of belonging. Think about what it means to belong to the family of God. Think about what it means to belong to each other. Think about what it means as an individual person to belong to God. What does that mean? And does that give me a sense of purpose? The idea becomes very clearly. We are tempted to believe that we face life alone and that we individually are charged with figuring out what it is our purpose in life is supposed to be. And everyone else around us in our culture receives this message from our culture on a regular basis. In the media, things we read, things we buy, and things we do. The idea that we are charged with charting our own course and our own destiny. But even a very old man who waited until the end of his life to receive any kind of accolades from humans whatsoever could look back across his life and inform and instruct us about the way life works. When you get to the end of that continuum, When you get to where you're facing the grave, at least in bodily form, for a short time. You can ask yourself the question, to whom did I belong? And one thing we learn from Jesus is that seeking the kingdom of God first means that God has made you his belonging. God has made you his. He has claimed you as his own. He has brought you into his kingdom and given you a new purpose. That purpose being to seek his kingdom, which we know elsewhere in the scripture we cannot do on our own power. We often say that here, but think about it for a minute. The purpose of life is not simply to seek the kingdom of God. It is to belong. Who do you belong to? And as you tell your story to other people, do you have the opportunity to share who you belong to? As you listen to the stories of other people, will you have the opportunity to hear who they belong to and what it is they feel the purpose of their life is? Well, the answer to that question is yes. Over the next several weeks and beyond here, to the months and years that follow, we will all have the opportunity to step back away from life to see how big it is, and to note that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in that big life, specifically called by name to a purpose and a belonging that is beyond ourselves. And of all the millions and millions of people God knows you, who you are, what your story is, how your heart beats and for what, and calls you into his purpose by name, individually, with love and care and without dropping you or turning his back on you, not for a moment in life. What does that do for us? It gives us a base of understanding of what our purpose is. What will you do when someone shares his or her story with you and you listen for their purpose? How will you receive that story? How will you hear it and respond to it? Well, I would suggest this. From the counsel of scripture and from the way Jesus does his business, you can always ask the question, tell me your story. And then when someone shares something with you that's significant about their life, ask them another question. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about who you are. And I would wager that at some point in the conversation, you'll get the same question in return. Tell me your story. But if people don't acknowledge that, we each have a story and that each story is precious and worth something, then those stories will be lost and the opportunities with them. This is the opportunity that we have in Explore God. It is simply, perfectly to engage in story. And then as God opens up the opportunity to share his purpose and your belonging to him is a part of your story. He'll do that. But think about the opportunity to ask someone, What is your story? What I'd ask us each to do is to entertain that idea, pray over that idea, and specifically pray over people's names, see people's faces, ask them to join you, if not to an Explore God group which we're hosting aid groups all around the community, right? If not to an Explore God group, consider asking someone to sit with you and share their story with you anytime and any place that is convenient for the two of you. Have a drink or have food available and simply practice the art of spiritual conversation. Asking, what is your story? And being attuned to the idea that there is purpose embedded in every story. Everyone is seeking purpose. Will you share with your presence the purpose that God has given you as we go through this next seven weeks? I would say yes. I know every person in this room and every person in this room has a willing heart in this direction. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here this morning. Starting Explore God Together as a family. So what I'd ask us to do now is pray together. To kick this thing off right. And let's ask God together. God, who are you bringing into my life in the next few weeks so that I can hear their story and learn about them? And perhaps so that I can share the story of my faith with them in the future in return. Would you pray with me? So God, here we are, and we're kicking this series off. But really, this is not new to you. We're just simply learning how you operate, what your mode of operation is, and that is to get to know people where they are, to ask people who they are and let them explain, and to stop our agenda in its tracks so that we can hear that story in full and ask more questions about it. And as people get comfortable with us and ask questions, difficult questions, tough questions that we don't have the answer for, give us a sense of comfort and peace in you that we don't have to have all the answers. But there is one thing that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that's that purpose and belonging lie in your hands and you have gifted them to us through Jesus. So as we go, God, we ask that you give us faces, give us names, give us opportunities to invite, inspire us to create the opportunity to have conversation and that you work in those conversations to build relationships that will last There won't be crowds of people to come to us to hear us speak, God. There'll only be one or two, and each of those is precious in your sight. Inspire and equip me to listen and ask and be attentive to the stories I hear. And because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his conquering that death and rising again, let me be patient and hear with his ears. Speak with his mouth and see the opportunities in front of me with his eyes. In your name we pray. Together we say amen and amen.